I'm Brian Carpenter, host of Fresh Air at Five, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today we're talking with Miriam Plotinsky about her book, Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom. What an awesome book. What a practical book. And what a fun conversation. You're going to love this talk. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and uh, left a review. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. And uh, I would love it if you did that. By the way, also, can you share it with a friend or a colleague? Or a relative say, hey, do you listen to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12? Well, you should. And uh, here's the link. (laughs) Have fun. Thanks for doing that. Enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. That here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, ah, ah, with Dotsty Maletto. Miriam Platinsky is an instructional specialist with Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland and the author of Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom and the upcoming Lead Like a Teacher, How to Elevate Expertise in Your School. Miriam is a National Board Certified Teacher and Certified Administrator. She lives in Silver Spring, Maryland and can be reached via her website, and I'll have other ways to get in touch with her on in my show notes. So good stuff. Miriam, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, glad to have you here. And uh, before we talk about your book, could you share what you like best about teaching and working with kids? I love the laughing. I'm a, I, I find humor in, in, in everything, and kids are funny, and they're also unpredictable. So I like being caught by surprise in a good way. Very nice. I like that. That's awesome. Yes, they're very unpredictable. And it's one of the cool things about uh, teaching that I think also is that, uh, you know, it, it's definitely never a dull moment, it, it, especially, yeah. especially if you encourage it not to be a dull moment. So. Yeah, the day goes quickly. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. I like that. Uh, you know, okay, so let's flip it. What do you like least about being a classroom teacher? These will not be very original answers, but uh, first of all, especially because my background is English language arts, the grading is just enormous. I mean, I used to grade at like traffic lights and doctor's office waiting rooms, wherever and everywhere. And and the other thing, and all teachers of all content areas will, I think, agree with me, the paperwork that has not a whole lot to do with what happens in our classrooms, that, that can be really frustrating. Most definitely, most definitely. So uh, thanks. I I had to ask it that way because I a long time ago I was a principal and uh, I was encouraging my uh, colleagues who were elementary principals to uh, invite me into school so they the, the kids could start knowing who the uh, the principal was at the school down the road and all that sort of stuff. And so my first one who did that, she uh, I said, now you need to know something. I'm used to talking with high schoolers. I mean, what do I what do I talk to elementary school kids? Especially because it was a it was a uh, uh, one of those days where uh, you're, you know, they profession day, you know, they're bringing in all kinds of people to talk about what profession they have. And, and uh, I, I said, I'm a principal. What am I going to talk about? She said, there's three things that they, they want to know and at all ages. And you just kind of work with how they respond. But she said uh, three things. One is what do you like about your job? What don't you like about your job? And how much money do you make? And she said, <laughs> she said, they all think we're uh, rich. So whatever you say is going to sound really cool. So <laughs> 
Yeah, and with the younger kids, they're also going to imagine that you are far older than you are. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> very cool. So, you know, I just remember like going into elementary school sometime, you know, I think I was in my 30s at the time, and kids were like, are you 50-something? No, I'm not, and now my confidence <laughs> is shattered. <laughs> nice, very nice, yes. It, it never fails at what generation, because, you know, I was 24, and uh, a, a kid made reference to me uh, being a, a, a child of the flower children of the uh, of the 60s. And I'm like, how old do you think I am? I said, Never mind. Don't answer that. Okay, we're good. Wow. <laughs> and that's the whole okay boomer thing that kids say. So my son, who was 14, said that to me. And I said, that is your grandmother's generation. <laughs> I am not a boomer. But he doesn't understand what that means. To them, it just means old person. <laughs> nice. It's, isn't it fun? Yes, this is this is to, to those listeners out there. You know exactly what we're talking about because it's it's just one of those things that uh, you can't explain unless you've been a teacher. Nope. <laughs> so good stuff. Yeah. All right. So in your introduction, you recall this: when asked about what he did, like you know about in school, he said, "There's one class I don't skip because even though the teacher is fun, like a lot of teachers." She also cares whether I learn. She wants me to get something from her class. Could you talk about the impact that this comment had on you? It was such a profound impact because I had always learned, as I think most of us do, that if we have engaging classes and if kids like us and we like them, they will come and they will learn with us. And then we are hurt when that doesn't work out. When we don't see kids. We take things very personally. And I have a lot of reasons for why that could be. But that one thing that that student said about the teacher caring about him as a learner set off this light bulb of kids just don't want us to relate to them as people. They want us to validate who they are in a classroom. They want us to respect their ideas, their thoughts, their contributions. If we don't take that extra step and take it beyond that, hey, what's your favorite color into wow, that idea you just shared opens up our learning and here's why. If you don't go there, we might not be completing a loop that is, is pretty vital. It's, you know, it's so amazing because I think sometimes this is what, and to say this nicely, I think sometimes colleagues, there are some colleagues that don't get that kids do care about whether you care or not. And uh, it can make a huge difference in whether, you know, whether they've, do what you want them to do in the class or not, or whether they take time to spend time. Or in this case, you know, there's one class I don't skip, you know. <laughs> oh, nice, you know? <laughs> well, that was, I was doing a focus group about attendance. I was trying to solve the mystery of attendance at the school I was working at at the time. So I pulled in a bunch of kids and got their voice data about why they do or don't go to class. And, and you know, some of the information you get is really nonspecific, like this is boring. But I've learned over the years that boring is this all-encompassing term that kids use for it's not working for me. And so then we as the teachers have to figure out what does that mean that you are bored? Because very rarely is a boredom. It's usually something else. Isn't that so right? That's what's, that's what's cool. I have a hard time not laughing at this because this is, uh, you know, this is one of those whether we know it or not, because before you're talking about how the kids think we're old, well, this is one of the things where we show that we're <laughs> older than them, at least, because we're not getting their uh, uh, their lingo or not getting their speak. You know, it's like, what are you talking about here? Right. And they don't have the vocabulary, really, to tell us. Yes. And, and that's the other thing. And it's even, even in high school, where we assume that kids are, are more um, able to communicate their feelings accurately, 
they're not necessarily, they don't come at it with the same perspective that we do of, oh, let's narrow down your level of disengagement to this, these, these five causes. These are why kids disengage. They don't think like that. They don't think in edu jargon. All they know is that they're sitting there, they're not enjoying themselves, so they're bored. Exactly. That's, that's funny. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's such an interesting thing, though, when you find that out uh, or you, you make some comment that you swear that it was just yesterday that that comment was ver- very relevant and people would get it, you know, and, uh, and I, I give you a million one of these. I grew up on too much television, but the, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's really hurtful when a kid looks at you and goes, you know, I think I saw something like that on me TV or TV land or something like that. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's really bad when the teacher says that to you. Cause, <laughs> cause that's, a- well, and that's the thing is, you know, it, it, it can be cool or not cool. So I have run into several former students of mine who are now teachers in my, in my district. And right now I'm actually teaching a former student of mine who I had in ninth grade in the year, I think 2001. So, you know, it's been, a, it's been a minute. <laughs> since I've taught her and I actually had her in the early portion of my career. So the first thing I did was apologize. I said, you know, I don't, I don't know what I was like. I don't remember. I remember being terrified all the time, but I don't remember a whole lot about how well I was doing this job. And she was very, very kind to me and very reassuring, but I still worry. It's like, Oh, you got this version of me that was very unpolished. That's awesome. That's just, as, just as a note. And, and for anyone, I, if you're a teacher and you're listening or been a teacher, you know, exactly um, because when you run into somebody who's now in, oh, I don't know, 30, let's just, just choose it. <laughs> and you go, wow. So when I was 22 or whatever, how old you were when, when you had them the first time and because you got, you know, you get better as the years go by and you just wonder what they were thinking. And so it's, it, it's very interesting, especially, uh, um, when the kids imitate, they're no longer kids as an adult, they imitate you as, as they remember you. <laughs> I hope not. I'm not that cool. Don't imitate me. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right, so let's get, let's get back into your book. You got some cool stuff in here, and one of the. I, and by the way, I could have spent I, you know, for an area of a book that when I was in college in my undergrad world, um, I tended to to avoid reading introductions and pref, you know, the preface and stuff like this, and. I've learned that there's so much cool stuff in those areas that that's where I need to spend my time. And I could have spent a lot. I could have spent this whole talk with you in in that area. One of the things you talk about early in your book is teaching is a verb. Can you talk about why we need to think this way? We become very passive without realizing it. You know, we, we do things repetitively and we even do them the way that people did them with us even if we didn't like it. So I may have sat in a number of classrooms that were teacher directed and not enjoyed them. But lo and behold, when I became a teacher, I did the same thing because that was what I knew how to do. And so for me, active teaching, teaching as a verb is about challenging the assumptions and the premises upon which you've built your current practice and saying, I assume that this will work because it has, but maybe, maybe there's something else out there. And I'm not saying that you have to undergo this huge professional development, personal process all the time, but just think about whether what you're doing is working as well as you think. And you can pick a lesson to look at. You can pick one thing that you do all the time. Like I remember I had this huge wake up call when a student came in, this was about three years into my career. 
And he said, oh, I'm talking about the reading again. We talk about the reading every single day. And he was just saying out loud because he didn't have that filter. Right. What a lot of kids are thinking. And I was like, oh, God, every day is the same for them. I What I think is awesome, or at least what I think we should be doing, is not so great. So it's just that whole, okay, well, this isn't working. What else can we, what else can we try? That's it's funny because that's it's so much so because so so many times I mean the reason why I became a teacher was because although I didn't use these words to say teaching is a verb was because uh, my three history teachers and I love history history is so fantastic there's just so many things about it that you just cannot put a you know to say that it's uh, it's not fascinating. Yeah, there's all these math teachers and English teachers and all these people out there going, "Oh my gosh, would you shut up about history?" But anyway, they, you know, what was, what was awesome, what was not so awesome was that it was so not a verb in those three classes because it was like, the one gentleman, he was a great guy, and reading to the students is a good thing, but when every day you walk into class and he opens the book and says, "We left off on page 143." I'm continuing from there. And then he'd read for the rest of the time and then assign the questions at the end of the, whatever the section was at that evening. Yeah, that, that would be a good example of not a verb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go buy an audiobook or, or do the ones that are free on the internet. They're available now. If, you're, if, you're, if you learn by listening, then you can do that, you know? But my, my, I had a child who experienced that last year, a teacher who literally read aloud to them every single day. And ironically... My son would come home and not read because he had been bored out of his mind during the day. There's that word, bored. Nice. Um, there are different ways to do things. And again, reading out loud has a place, but every day. Yeah, every day is just killer. All class period. We're not, we're not learning at that point, are we? Oh, no, no. And it's because he was a very giant of a man. <laughs> um, it pretty much was a well-behaved class who just kind of passively sat there going, I must listen to this. Well, they might have been not been conscious. I mean, that's the thing, too, is like if you've got your nose in a book and you're reading and you're not looking up much, kids are doing all kinds of things. And a quiet classroom is not an engaged classroom. That's true. We have this thing of, oh, classroom management. My, my, my students must be silent. It's not that at all. No, not at all. Matter of fact, that's just too much compliance. And it's like uh, there's got to be something wrong in the class if they are that quiet, I think. So um, good stuff. I You know, um, so... Let's talk about something that you refer to. You call it hands-off teaching. So what is that? It is the ability to step back from what I also call hovering or helicopter teaching and give kids a little bit more of an opportunity to show what they can do. Because when we are too involved, when we are micromanagers of learning, we do everything for them. And that's not really a healthy construct. Uh, my book is geared towards secondary teachers. So as kids are getting older, they can do more. Um, I would argue that kids of all ages can do more than we think they can do. Um, but especially as they start to, to progress. And, you know, if we're still thinking in such a way that we need to be with them every single second for the learning to happen to the point where we don't feel comfortable calling substitutes when we're horribly sick. to the point that we are running around our classrooms, looking at one kid and then playing whack-a-mole as we go to a different kid and the first kid goes off task. That's too, it's too much. We have to build some, some better, better methods for, for having a classroom where kids can do a little bit more and know that we trust them to do more. 
You know, and I think that's one of the keys to it right there is that uh, a lot of times we don't trust what they're going to do. You know, it's like it's not necessarily that they're going to do what we're asking to do. It's that we don't know what's coming next if we don't say that we got to do it this way or follow the, you know, follow. the. It's kind of like paint by numbers, you know, teach by numbers type thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, prefab teaching like a modular house, just snap it all together. That sounds like fun. It does, doesn't it? Yes. We, <laughs> about as much fun as all the houses that look the same are. You know, you walk through a neighborhood and every single house looks the same. Yes. We, yes, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Good. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so cool. So, and so you use this hands-off teaching and you introduce us to your, your thoughts about, uh, um, you know, what it, what it means to micromanage and so forth. Um, so could you share a little bit about the four stages that help us get beyond the way we currently think of instruction and how it's delivered? Sure. So I wrote the book because I wanted to try to find a way to communicate this method to anybody who wasn't inside my brain, essentially. So I created these four stages to how we can achieve a more hover-free, uh, more hover-free teaching style. If you don't have time to read the entire book, as in it's in the middle of the school year, not the summer, when we're sort of having a little bit more space for that, you can still pick and choose by chapter. It doesn't have to go in order. But this is if you have the time, the breath, the process. So essentially, I start with mindset shifts. And in that section, I challenge all of us to think about how student learning takes place. Do we really believe that students have that ability to manage their learning and to share it with us and to share that responsibility? And if not, why not? So there's a lot of uh, self-exploratory tools and strategies that are contained in that part of the, of the book, like a fun little quiz. I might be a micromanager if I do these things. And, and we're really trying to gauge how much we currently control. The second stage is reframing relationships. And that's really about building what I call academic identity. So again, going beyond the personal, let's figure out who these learners are and make sure they understand their value and not shut people out or down accidentally or on purpose. And so that chapter has, again, the tools and strategies that we can try out that, that kind of framing with. Uh, the third stage is planning for engagement, which is how we pull students into our lesson planning process. There's this misconception sometimes when people hear about my book that it's, oh, so students are going to do all the work. What are the teachers doing? No, that's not it. <laughs> teachers are still, the curriculum doesn't change. The content doesn't change. Our expertise doesn't change. What changes is that kids have more information that they're giving us so that we intuit and assume less. So if I'm starting a unit with a topic, I might ask them first what they already know, and that way I have a better entry point. Or I might ask them how they learn best and get their feedback about how they want to do that. And then finally, choice-based instruction is really about where and however possible giving kids the opportunity to make choices that make their days a little bit more pleasant and also a little bit more intrinsically motivated. Because if I am dictating every step of what a kid does every day, bell to bell, without exception, they're not really going to feel as interested in it unless they happen to enjoy learning that way or really love the content, regardless of what I'm doing. So those are the four stages. Gotcha. And I, and I got I to gotta say this real quick, because one of the things that uh, I, gotta, I can hear some kids saying, wait, wait a second. You're supposed to just tell me what to do, and then I just do it. You know. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you say that because a lot of studies have shown that kids initially prefer that because they haven't been taught how to do it differently. And so, if you say, "Hey, do you want to have more more say in how this class goes?" They'll say, "No, it's, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just gonna sit here and relax, and you you do the work." But after they've experienced something different, 
they do undergo that. They also have to undergo a mindset shift, essentially. We all have to. Oh, I can imagine. Because that's, you know, one of the things that uh, just like you referred to, I mean, Mike, micromanaging the hover the hovering teacher is uh, is something that is, uh, you know, it's almost a, a tradition in some classes. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, yes. And uh, Well, it's really funny. Yeah, because my father was a college professor for 40 years, a famed lecturer, essentially. And when he started hearing about my methods, at first he was, you know, it was a totally different way to look at education. And then he... He, he got it. It just, it was funny. We would have these hilarious conversations about it because he would say, what's happening? And he would visit my classes and we had you know, these two very different ways of, of conducting instruction. That's, that's awesome. Sorry. He didn't say things like, uh, so when's instruction start? <laughs> no, he was very open-minded. I appreciated that about him. I think if awesome. he had been, and he also used to say, that, you know, which is true, the work in a high school or middle school looks very different than the work um, in higher education. So he respected that difference. Very cool. That's neat. The, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I also have to mention is that in one of your stages, you talk about relationships. And I think that's, that's a part that, uh, you know, people can learn it, but the, the ones who start off really getting it from the beginning, you know, who, who really get into teaching from the very beginning, I think they uh, they understand that naturally, and then you have to kind of bring others along because, you know, that's a that's a part of it that uh, you know, kind of like referring to that student who made the comment about the teacher that cared and so forth that, that I got something out of it. Well, usually what comes along with that is that pro- teacher probably started off by learning his name, using his name, and talking to him, not just when he was in trouble, you know, <laughs> or something like that. You know, we got into this conversation. I teach a, a class for teachers about how to essentially be more skillful. And we had a whole conversation about names because, you know, I would argue it's it's always the first thing I did. I spent a lot of time memorizing names in the first, even before the kids showed up. Because once you've got their names, you're sending a whole other message. And, I, you know, I would walk out of a building on the first day and say bye. And I'd say the kid's name. She knows my name. What? But it's not just accountability. It's it's that you care. It's sending that message without actually saying. It's 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 through action. Again, teaching is a verb. It's something that you do, not something that you say. I love that because it does send such a huge message when when you you take time to learn their names and you use it like you said. And what ends up happening is you know, and it's funny by the way around other kids because I'm sure you experienced this too, which is they say things to each other like, ooh. She knows your name. Did you do something wrong today? What, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. Taking my name and using it against me. <laughs> but no, so, we're not doing that. <laughs> but it's it's so cool because I've worked with, with teachers who you're like, okay, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's October 1st. And it's not really, by the way. But it's October 1st. And I've noticed that you're calling them, um, all right, I need you to do this work. And I need you to sit down. And I need you... And you're not saying their names. And uh, he's like, well, you know. Yeah. And I said, no, you should have, like, October 1st, you should have all of them down pat. And uh, because otherwise, it's just kind of like that old thing with, uh, hey, you, you know, you, yes, I know where you live. Sit down and mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah, it makes me angry, honestly. And when people tell me I can't, there are too many of them. You know, any of us who work in secretary, secretary in secondary um, know that we could be seeing about 150 kids a day. So it's part of the job. It's part of the job. Very much so. I'm not saying it's easy, but we do it. That, that you do. That you do. And you're right about those numbers because it's like, 
you know, you're going to be uh, running into them in different places and you got to really quickly start trying to figure them out because otherwise, yeah, just as a note, it is a classroom management thing tool in there that says, ah, uh, oh, they don't know my name. I think mm-hmm. I can do something. Yeah, we can. Uh, it sends the opposite message too, which, oh, dadgummit, she knows who I am. Not you in the yellow shirt sitting in the back row. But Well, and but it's also like all the, the implied messaging of she knows who I am. She cares about who I am. And so maybe I should, I should also be meeting this person somewhere. Love that. That's, that's cool. Uh, you know, so one of the things that I love about your book, Miriam, is that you make it user-friendly. You give examples of what a teacher can do in their class. Can you talk about including these? I felt very strongly about this um, because I've talked to teachers about what they read in the education sphere. And, you know, I, I do a lot of reading myself in, in our field. And sometimes the books are not as actionable as we would like. So they're full of good ideas. But when it comes to implementation, it's like, okay, so I could do this, but how am I going to do it? So I really was very intent upon including lots and lots of tools that you could lift up out of the book, adapt for your classroom, and use the next day. That's my definition of how professional development should work too. Like if someone walks out of any session I give and they don't have stuff to do, I, I failed. I really have because you know, I, I, too many times we have all sat in that room, in that training space or that cafeteria, walked out and gone, what, 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 what did I just do? What just happened over the last hour? Why was I in there? And I don't want people to question work that I think is very important and I don't want to waste people's time. So along those lines, if you are going to do me the honor of reading my book, I would like you to walk away with something. And so I wanted to have more, I remember when I was doing the estimates for my publisher of how many figures I would need. I remember sending an email somewhere in the middle of the writing process going, I really underestimated. Is that okay? I'm doing a lot more than I thought. So it's really to make it as applicable as possible, as quickly as possible for anyone who, who and you know, I want you to flip through this book, see something you like and go, oh, okay, I'm going to use that. Even if you haven't read the book, I don't care. Oh, I could easily see that happening. It's cool because it's, you have them in an area and they're laid out in which you can follow along and kind of look and see and say, Ooh, I just, like you said, I like that. And let me try that tomorrow. And that's, and that's where I was going with that is that you literally can as a teacher go, I like that. And, and there's enough about it there that you can say, I'm going to try that tomorrow and, and go at it. <laughs> so that's the goal. You know, I just, um, I'm writing my third now. I, I, I signed on for a third a few weeks ago. Kudos. And and I, I'm, I'm even more, there's even more in there. <laughs> Very nice. I just keep, I just keep creating tables. That's awesome. <laughs> Good stuff. So that, now I got to go back to your four stages again, because one of the things I, I wanted to talk about was um, in the four stage area, you uh, say this, to facilitate instruction that minimizes teacher interference, we need tools that provide students as many choices as possible, which you, you referenced just a minute ago. And I wanted to get back into that before you leave. Let's, let's go into a little bit more detail. Like, what type of tools are you talking about? What type of choices are we going to give them? I mean, are we going to give them a choice of whether you use a pen or a pencil? You can if you want to, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I, I never really got picky about that, as long as I can read it. Gotcha. Um, so, for in this case, nothing seismic or scary. I want to emphasize that. Choice means when it's possible, let kids make some decisions about how they spend their day. So, if, for example... We're working on a couple different things at the same time. We've got some reading assignments. We've got a project. We've got something to write. Pick one day a week and tell the kids, okay, these three things have to happen by the end of the week. 
you get to pick what you do first today. It could be as simple as that. And you could set up stations and put yourself at a small group instruction station for anyone who's got questions, or you could do individual conferences, or you could leave kids where they are. It's really up to you how you do that. But what always occurs to me is that as an adult, or actually as adults in general, we respect our working styles. We know when we work best on what, and we try to accommodate that for one another. And we forget that kids don't have that. We just tell them how they're going to learn all the time. So is, if it's not gonna change anything in your day, if they're gonna do the same stuff, can you just let them pick what happens first? That's a very simple adjustment you can make and it's not a big deal. They'll appreciate it. That's cool. It's very cool. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and this is, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think that in order to really follow what you're saying, it's going to ask some people to step outside their comfort zone. Any thoughts about that? If we got into teaching to be comfortable, we're in the wrong profession. Uh, I don't know what has been more uncomfortable. And that's a very mild term for what's been going on for the past three years, you know? Right. Um, I, I have never been more uncomfortable as I was when I was trying to learn how to reach kids that I wasn't even anywhere near. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. But the glory of teaching, and it's sort of a double-edged sword sometimes, is that we can do it differently every single time. And we keep doing things that are uncomfortable because, you know, and we have to model that for kids. When kids walk into our classrooms, they are so uncomfortable so uncomfortable a lot of the time because we're asking them to do things that they don't want to do. So can't we model the same thing for them? If I'm going to ask kids to put themselves out there and write something to share with the class, I, as the teacher, might want to do the same thing. In fact, that's how I started writing. A kid looked at me one day and said, because I was teaching a writing class, have you ever published? And I felt shamed. I was like, oh my God, you're right. I've never tried to do that. I'm going to get on that. It was uncomfortable. I get rejected all the time. It's okay. That's, that's, I was trying hard not to interrupt you because, oh my gosh, yes, I, you know, I can imagine, you know, the kid looking at, because, you know, there should be a TV show, the kids say the darndest things, you know, and it's like, oh yes, they do. Mm -hmm. And uh, just lay it flat out there. So, so if we're talking about this stuff, what about you? <laughs> Thanks. Yes. <laughs> well, and she wasn't trying to be obnoxious. I think right. she was genuinely curious. You know, if I'm talking about entering writing contests and let's take some risks, well, talk about your risks, oh teacher. And I was like, oh. You're right. Nice. I should do more of that. Nice. I I have a couple that are non-instructional that I'll always remember, but uh, it shows you at what you think kids might be thinking, but what they're really thinking. And uh, one of them was like this. Uh, oh, There's great discussion going on in the classroom, all kinds of good stuff. And this one young lady raises her hand. And when she was kind of like one of those kids that if she raises her hand, you're about to have something awesome being said that's going to help you with further taking them down this instructional lane and instead what she said was uh, mr Moletto, did you no one ever tell you that polka dots don't go with stripes because I, I guess i was wearing a polka <laughs> dot tie with a striped shirt i'm like ah, yeah and i said yeah. you've had me for most of the year now i said uh, have you ever seen me really have style <laughs> And she said, you got a point. <laughs> but we believe in a growth mindset, so maybe you just didn't have style yet. Exactly. I like today. Today, they, they if they wear a tie, it doesn't matter if it's stripes or dots or whatever, but then it seemed to matter. Exactly. Just keep going. Just keep trying. Yeah, my other favorite one was uh, I had a, uh, I was principal of a high school, and I have a 1996 uh, um, Toyota Camry, uh, Camry, Toyota Corolla, and uh, it's 
used. I bought it used, and it's uh, it's uh, over. It's getting close to two hundred thousand miles, and and uh, it was missing a couple of hubcaps because someone helped themselves to my hubcaps. <laughs> and uh, um, and this is not nineteen ninety six, by the way. This is in the two thousands and the mid two thousands, and the kid. Um, as I was leaving, it's late in the afternoon. He's riding on his bicycle, and he comes by, and he goes, "Hey, Mr. Moleto," and he's riding around. He goes, "How you doing today?" And I said, "I'm doing good." He's, he I said, "He said, so you going home, huh?" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "Is that your car?" And I said, "Yes." And he goes, "He goes, aren't principals supposed to have nice cars?" <laughs> and no I, matter what kids say about the car, it's offensive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I said, "Now, if I if I say this to you, I said, tell me what you think." I said, "I own this," and he goes. Oh, I kind of see what you mean. He, he, he got what I meant. The other guys, they don't own their cars. They're paying money on them. So he said, oh, that's pretty cool. All right. So and then he left me alone. <laughs> but I was like, well, my, 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 own, my own hurtful car story was before I, before I had too many children that the car could accommodate, I drove a Ford Mustang. And nice. I remember a student saw me one day getting into it. And he said, huh, that's funny. I kind of pictured you more as a Honda Accord person. <laughs> and I was like... Wow, because I had this whole image of myself and my very sporty car and <laughs> ruined it forever. <laughs> nice, nice. It's, it's amazing what can happen. Once the, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, so one of the things I, I also got to take us uh, down this road to talk about is something else that I love about the formatting of your book. And uh, just remind everybody, the book is Teach More, Hover Less, is that you have these awesome segments at the end of each chapter called Questions for Reflection and Growth. And they're really cool. Could you share why you included these segments? For me as a reader, I always have a hard time sometimes processing what I just learned and taking action. Yeah, sure. I put some, a lot really of things all through the book, a lot of, a lot of tools for people to use, but I wanted them to think about how they were going to use them. So if you wanted to go through those questions, or if you're doing this book, not just as an individual, but as a team, you can hold yourselves accountable to how you're applying what you've learned at the, end, at the end of the chapter, if you so choose. It's just another way to make sure that this is as useful as possible and not just something we walk away from once we're done reading it. I love that because it, it you know, especially if you hadn't, if all you've been doing is take a little notes or whatever, and then you come to those questions, ah, it gets you into going back and saying, I'm going to respond to these. That's nice. I like that. The, uh, Thank you. You know, one of the things I got to ask you is, could you talk about embracing change? I mean, you get into this in, in your book, and I, I mean, what does it take to move and accept the focus that you've created? It takes that knowledge that we have as teachers deep down inside that if we resist change, we're just denying our reality. You know, even if we were to try and keep our instruction exactly the same, from year to year, which I don't think anybody really does. Some people do more than others. But, you know, we all recognize that kids are changing quickly, more quickly than they used to. I mean, I think about when I first started teaching 22 years ago and, and what it looks like now, and there's just so little to draw from that is the same. So with, with that, we have to be okay with change, just like we have to be okay with discomfort. These are things that we, you know, there are all sorts of, of, of ways that we look at the education sphere. We're not going to get closure on a lot of things. We're not going to feel comfortable. We're not going to be able to stand in one place for long. So if we can't stop it, let's get on the bus and, and be part of it. And let's say, okay, the worst that can happen is that this lesson or this idea will bomb. And the next day I'm going to try it again. 
love that. I love it very much. That's that's so cool. You know, um, because I think that's, you know, it's just so how we gotta we gotta think. We gotta realize that. Yeah, you might run into some br- some little brick walls, <laughs> but you could you just gotta kind of bounce off that and and uh, refocus and do it again. And you know, and uh, you know, one of the things I think that we've kind of t- touched on, without specifically saying, is you just kind of be um, let things bounce off of you also like when they say things that however yeah they they really don't mean them personally it's just what that comes to them to say too and uh but uh yeah. you're going to run into that a lot when you're trying to adopt something that's different which uh i think is uh is awesome what you're talking about here what do you ever you know what do you advise somebody who might be running into pushback think about why you're running into pushback um, sometimes it's it's for reasons that are other people's discomfort and their resistance to change, and there aren't really better reasons for it. But sometimes they're trying to tell you something, so embrace people who don't agree with you. Because typically, one thing about the people who are difficult or who push back is they are engaged. It might not be the most positive form of engagement yet, but you can work with them and and, and figure out where to go next. This pushback is a healthy thing. We're not supposed to surround ourselves with yes people. Very true. Very true. I just reread a uh, a book about the Emperor's New Clothes. I, not that I reread the Emperor's New Clothes. It was a book that was making an example <laughs> with that. And it's yeah, you know, it's the same thing. You know, that someone disagrees with you. <laughs> yes, he's not wearing clothes. What? <laughs> oh, you silly man. You. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you know, Miriam. Before we close, um, could you let everyone know where they could connect and learn more? Sure. Um, my website is my first and last name, miriamplotinsky.com. And then I am most active on Twitter at MirplowMCPS. And in any of those places, you can reach me. There's a contact form on my website. I am always so thrilled to engage with readers and teachers and thinkers and educators from all vantage points. So please, please touch base. And I promise you, you will hear back from me unless, unless whatever you say hurts my feelings badly. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> because pushback is good. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Very cool. I'll have all that in my show notes. And what's really cool, I got to remind everybody, is that this is mobile friendly. So that means that when you're listening to us on your phone, all you got to do is scroll down there and there's the show notes and there's going to be a link to take you straight to Miriam's books and and her website and all that good stuff. So cool. Uh, I got one last question for you, Miriam, and it goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yes, I do. Um, so I had a professor in college, his name um, is Dr. Splain, and he taught the foundations of education, which is education history and how we got to where we are. And at the time that I took his class, I wasn't really sure. I was an education major, but I was like, I had one foot in and he changed that completely. And I stayed in touch with him through the years. Um, he, I went to visit his classes in the years that followed and speak as a teacher instead of as a, as a student. I brought my dad to his class. Um, so it was a continuing thing. And so he knows, but I'll say again, um, how, how he has inspired generations of teachers. And that's just the most beautiful thing. That is so cool. Thanks so much for sharing. And, and Miriam, it was awesome talking with you. Thank you for sharing your book, Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom. Wishing you the very best in all that you do. Thanks. You too. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. 
The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.